Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I welcome you to Olympian Space. Many, many, many years ago, decades ago, in fact, I attempted to do something uh, interesting and eccentric and unusual. Um, I wanted to explore living mythology in popular culture. And what I had in mind was to create a bridge to the various pop cultural manifestations of uh, Greek mythology and interact with their fandoms. Uh, That idea, uh, though uh, I've held on to it for many years, uh, was a good one. Uh, However, we got sidetracked and we did many things uh, in the interim uh, and it took many years to get uh, to where I wanted to be. And tonight actually marks the transition Uh, into what I intended and what happened and what is happening now. So without further ado, I welcome Bob Vossler, Ambassador to Olympus and Commander of the USS Challenger, an Admiral in Starfleet International, to his show. Greetings and welcome, Bob. Welcome and thank you once again. I'm glad to be here once again. I can't believe it's yet another month. (laughs) Yes, time has been zooming by so uh, quickly. And uh, I believe I shared with you in a personal message, I don't know if you got it yet, uh, very soon you'll have your hour back. So the 20-minute reduction, which was meant to be temporary, will uh, um, be given back to you. And I love all the ideas that you've presented for future shows. So I'm really, really looking forward to uh, uh, working with you on those. I did see your message. I was excited about that. And uh, congratulations on the, on the new station. And uh, I'm, I'm really psyched for the months to come. Certainly me me too. A much better time. It seems like today was a very surreal day in uh, in real life, yes. you know, with everything going on. 
so to be honest, this is what I've been looking forward to all day because it's been a really grim, it, it, you know, it, it seemed to reflect the weather, which is dark, gray, cold. And overcast, and yes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're on the same page there, and I was looking forward to this all day as well. And I am uh, honored to introduce your co-host for tonight, Marie McGinley of the USS Avenger. Um, I welcome you, Anne Marie. Thank you. And uh, Thank you. if you, you're welcome. And if you'd like to uh, be part of our greater adventure with Mount Olympus, uh, you and the crew of the Avenger are more than welcome. Oh, very good. I'll bring that up at the next meeting because that may be something we want to do because we're all awesome. talky people. <laughs> <laughs> and myself, now, like Bob. We've been sitting here, I've been sitting here today going, oh my gosh, it's like chaos all over yes. the place. So, yes, today was very would... surreal, and uh, this is uh, actually, uh, we're, we're focusing on a better uh, vision for the future together, and uh, I hope that our uh, faith in that inspires other people uh, so that we can move past this uh, challenge a global challenge that we're all facing and come out closer to the type of future that Roddenberry uh, envisioned many years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this will make us more aware of people beyond our little community or beyond our house even. Um, make us aware of the global community, uh, you know, which is a good awesome. thing. Good so day. without further ado, I hand Bob Vossler, Ambassador to Olympus, the Scepter of Zeus, and I give him the show, and I'll be here in case you need me. Okay, thank you. Well, hey, Bob. Henry, where do we, how you doing? Good. Where do we, where do we possibly Sitting here in the dark so the bird doesn't scream. <laughs> well, well, likewise, the puppies are upstairs, so we don't have to worry about them uh, chasing each other and barking or or uh, barking at the cat. Yeah. Um, so now we have now we have our households under control now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where do we start with our uh, conversation about Star Trek Picard? Because it oh my uh, gosh. Had talked yesterday. <clears throat> it's uh, it's been quite the series. It has uh, really delved into not only Picard's character, but uh, you know some some familiar faces and some not so familiar. You know some brand new characters that have really um, been properly fleshed out and continue to be fleshed out and continue to surprise us. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying this series. It's such a departure, really, from the other series. It has a lot of action in it, but there's also something else about it. I mean, first of all, we're seeing Picard in his 90s, and that's an interesting situation in and of itself. Um, but we're also, I've always thought while watching Star Trek, I always wanted to know more about the Romulans. Now I guess I'm kind of sorry I asked. Because um, maybe this isn't what I wanted to know about the Romulans. I'm not sure here, but it certainly is interesting. Um, uh, interesting too. I think uh, Bob, we were talking about this that <laughs> Ray-Ban sunglasses don't seem to have disappeared in the past 300 years either. 
No. There they no, were. Apparently, apparently they are uh, right in style with uh, with the Romulans. And actually, she looks kind of, uh, you know, almost threatening, them, you know. Um, yeah. But you would you think know. if they would have Jordy's visor on Next Generation that they would have done something about sunglasses. <laughs> but there it is. Yeah, <laughs> like, like something smaller, I would think. Like just, just around the the eyes. But I guess they were looking for, I don't know what they were looking for in, the, in this, um, other than the, the great reveal when she, you know, took the glasses off and did the, did the terrible mind melt. Um, yep. Yep. So maybe they were using it more as a prop, as a means to like, okay, I'm taking this off. You know, I'm but, taking uh, the glasses off now. We're going to be serious here. Uh, yeah. This <laughs> kind is, of like an airplane uh, moment with you know, yeah. on the from the airplane the yeah. movie. But, uh, yes. Yes. But um, I. Um, I guess I'm really liking the characters that are coming back to that that we're all so familiar with, and yet their roles now are so different than what they yeah. what were familiar with. Um, um, I mean, Seven of Nine in particular. Um, you know, we've seen you know between the last episode of Star Trek uh, Voyager and when we first saw Seven of Nine, and then seeing her again more recently. Um, she has definitely, you know, grown as a character, changed as a character, um, and really can kick ass. <laughs> yes, I love her character. I love her character just a lot. She's just plus Jerry Ryan is just fun anyway. So uh, she's just she's just great, and I love the fact that she's so that Seven is so impassioned about still about the Borg and about everything that goes on. And she's just, she's just a great breath of fresh air coming in. Uh, just, yeah, I love and her. you could see the, the, the pain that she was in when she had to, you know, be hooked up to that, to the two cables uh, and, and had to be reborgified in a way to uh, right. be able to carry out, you know, what she wanted to do. And then it didn't work out the way she wanted it. Not at all, not at all, and that was quite a scene too. When all the un um, can't think of the word un reanimated, for lack of a better yeah. word, Borg flying out into the space. That's that was quite a scene. Um, but yeah, you could I, also I see. Know, listeners should know that we are doing spoilers. I guess I should have oh, mentioned yes, that earlier. Yes. But if you haven't figured that out already, people, yes. There will be spoilers here, so um, you know. But I'm I'm oh. assuming that uh, our audience is all caught up. I would think so. Be. I mean, I I, you know, it came out Thursday, so I'm assuming everybody has seen this already. Um, which uh, you know, assumptions, but there we go. CBS All Access. Apparently, you're going to have some time on your hands. Uh, yeah. In the next <laughs> week, so uh, there's no excuse. You you there's. Plenty of time to binge watch or at least to catch an episode here and there. Um, because apparently we're not going anywhere. Um, nope. Not with Nobody's curfews, going anywhere. Curfews and everything closed. Movie theaters, you know. But, uh, but okay, we'll go away from that, get back to our, our <laughs> fictional world. Yeah, yeah. Because um, 
And also, by the way, I was skeptical about getting CBS All Access just for Discovery, but uh, this Picard show is well worth um, getting CBS All Access, and that's the end of the advertisement for me. Uh. Well, I'll, I'll plug one further because I believe the new season of The Twilight Zone should be coming back next month. Uh, unless they've changed. I haven't seen any commercials for it, but I read something a while back saying that just like last year, which I think it started in April of last year, that the new season would start again, you know, and, cool. and that was definitely interesting. Um, but uh, Very cool. we, you know, we can go on with Twilight Zone for, a, for another segment. Um, and we could but, go on uh, about how, you know, television is, eventually going to be on the internet all the way, but that's a whole other subject. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so. uh, I, I think it's a nice, this, this show is a nice mix of action, definitely a lot of character development. It was wonderful to see the Rikers. Um, Absolutely. And find out about, not only their daughter, but unfortunately their, another spoiler alert, everyone, uh, their their late son uh, mm-hmm. that they went into and who was linked to the storyline because of whatever illness he had uh, could have been possibly cured with some kind of positronic device. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, um, yes. Which because of the incident that occurred, uh, with the um, the synthetics that they're calling them, um, was no longer available or was, was banned technology. Right. And it's interesting what we're finding out about that incident on Mars with, uh, with the synthetics, that it really wasn't the synthetics who were behind that, um, but in fact right. the Romulans behind, were behind that. Going back to that cult-ish part of the yeah. the women who are on the uh, now I forget the name of the women. Um hate when that happens. I'm talking about something and you can't think of what it I, is. I can't think of it either, so don't feel bad. But uh I know the I last mean, one the last part was Vosh because I just thought, wait a minute, that was Captain Picard's kind of sort of girlfriend in T N G and I thought, wait a minute <laughs> They're stealing name. But anyway, this this women these women who saw the future. Uh, yeah. You know, find that very interesting, too. Um, we are finding out a lot more about Romulan culture than we ever knew before. Um, yeah, and I was glad to see that they were fleshing that out because, you know, uh, with with all due respect, we've seen a lot of the Klingons uh, <coughs> over the years. Uh, the Klingon, uh, they, they've really fleshed that out since uh since Star Trek the original series um you know uh they we've never really gotten that deep into the Romulan uh background, background. Uh, we got a little bit of it uh you know in next gen but nothing like what we're seeing now and and it's also interesting because um the Romulans as we knew them would have had to have changed from the fact that their world was destroyed and, you know, the, the, the upheaval that, that they've experienced. So, um, you know, right. and, and we've seen some, some Romulans, even from the Tal Shiar, um, 
you know, who have been very helpful and have been very loyal to Picard and have helped him. And then, of course, we see the, the you know, just like in any race, you have the good and the bad. Right. So, uh, and right. definitely now seeing a lot of the bad. Right. And it's interesting how Admiral uh, Admiral O got to be all the way up in Star, Starfleet security, head of Starfleet. Um, that's an interesting storyline in and of itself. Um, I hope yeah. they don't just let that drop. I mean, they don't have to focus necessarily, but I hope they don't just let it sit there. Um, I you know, think come we will probably get to see a scene and in a future episode where they will kind of uh, time lapse or whatever and show how she was able to, to slip in. I mean, they, they seem to have a tendency to uh, uh, play with time a little bit without actually literally playing with time, um, but having flashbacks and, yeah. and showing, you know, the evolution of a character um, you know, as they did with Seven of Nine, uh, you know, with uh, with the, um, the the former Borg that we saw in Voyager, you know. Um, right. You know, we right. see that flashback, you know, and, and Picard's had flashbacks. And, you know, I, I have a feeling that we will see more of how she gave, came to be uh, the the vile individual or misguided individual, but you know, still pretty vile, uh, that, that she, she, you know, and how she got to be where she is. Well, it's such an interesting character and can play so well off of Picard because of Picard's experience being a Borg. I mean, it's just interesting play there. I really wish they hadn't killed off Hugh, but that's only because I happen to like Hugh. <laughs> you know, it was nothing, um, well, it's sad to see that. I mean, I don't think we, many of us, had as much of an attachment with um, the young man who grew up um, on Voyager, um, even though he might have been in more episodes than you, the Borg. Um, but I think you represented some. You know, he he when he first appeared, he was like so innocent and you know right. and likable, and we were rooting for him. And then the next time we saw him. He was, you know, after that initial episode, and he was uh, separated from the Borg. Um, we saw that he had kind of created a, a rift within the Borg, um, you know, and and, and I think right. that's kind of like where they left it until we saw him now, and 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 clearly he was, you know, even more separated, and uh, you know, it was just sad that that was the end of his story, you know that. Yeah, I, I am. I really, really wish, and I think a lot of the fans wish that that they had not done that quite so quickly. Um, yeah, I think it would have been with a good playoff with night. with seven and yeah. with Picard. Yeah. You know, you could have had this whole group going around to were former Borg, if there's ever such a thing as former Borg. Yeah, um, well, I think this show has has been. Um, has demonstrated that it, it is definitely edgier, uh, that the, 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 uh, the odds of, not the odds, but the, um, um, you know, the, the, the uh, that, that things are, you know, uh, are, are very serious, that, that death can happen, injuries can happen, 
we've right. seen people lose their heads. Uh, you know, um, you know, it's much more graphic and in your face now uh, without, yes. without, I think, being exploitive. But I do think they're saying the odds are greater. You know, the the. Um, and and so we're going to lose a few people along the way, uh, right? And, and we right. definitely have. Right. It's it, yeah. It's definitely not the next generation where everything was neatly tied up at the end and all the good guys survived. That's definitely not what Picard is. Um, yeah. Which is appropriate. I even saw Picard like kind of freaking out when he first stepped onto the Borg cube. You know, like it brought back. A lot of memories. Um, yeah. Even though he had been in the Borg cube during the events of uh, First Contact, um, you know this. This is you know Picard's uh, fears are you know and, and emotions are catching up to him. Um, you know because of his age and because of whatever condition this is. You 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 kind of expect him to be a bit more vulnerable. Um, and even has, as we've talked about, put himself in a position, uh, you know, of more vulnerable uh, vulnerability when he was surrounded by <laughs> by those on that planet, uh, you know, uh, with the Romulans, and uh, they weren't too happy with him. And and right. and, and, and it, it, fortunately, his young, uh, you know. Uh, protege there came about with his sword and, and was able to intervene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and another, and another great character, a really great character. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just these characters, even if they're not likable, partic- I mean, even if they're like the enemy, they're, they're, there's something about that. Well, they're well-developed and they're well-played by the actors and actresses. And, uh, I love Raffi and because, um, Oh shoot! Why is it the name goes right out of my head? Um, what is her name? Michelle Hurd, and um, she's so good. She's been on so many shows, um, and I've always loved her. But she's so good as Raffi because Raffi is who she is. Um, you yeah, know, she's interesting... an excellent actress, and it's it's a wonderful character. Um, you know, you you really feel for her when she uh, meets up with her son and sees her son's, you know, wife and knows that she's going to be a grandmother. And yet there's such a disconnect between her son and her and their relationship. Right. Uh, and, and there's guilt there. And of course she comes back and, you know, she's depressed and wants a bottle and wants to, you know, um, and I, and I like the character of the, the pilot who's, Name also popped out of my head, so don't feel bad. Um, yes. I I love him. What a good actor! He's an excellent actor, also. And I I saw just just how he looked, uh, his just his expression as he was pulling stuff, I believe, out of his own uh, draw and had his uniform there. Yes. yes. Uh, and and he, he he you know just as Picard pegged him from their first meeting. Uh, when he was saying, um, you know, you're you're Starfleet through and through. You know, there's, you know, you may, yeah, yeah, you may, you may be, you know, kind of uh, scruffy here, uh, but uh, 
you know, every bolt is in place. Everything on this ship is, you know, is Starfleet. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's going to be an interesting story arc too, right there. Uh, and I loved the scene where there were what four or five of them sitting there. Uh, what a great scene! Um, all the, all the, uh, all the. Um, oh, Anne Marie. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Like the EMH and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was something. Yeah, that was. That was an amazing piece, amazing scene. Um, no. And, and. Well, I, I love this ship. I mean, we've never seen anything quite like it before. Right. Um, and we've never seen those types of computers that are 3D computers. Well, maybe we have a, something else. I don't think it was a Star Trek thing. I think it might have been something else that we were seeing. Um, where we saw a 3D computer, but um, it very interesting. And I love the fact, the vulnerability that Picard showed by saying, I have no idea how to run this. Uh, yeah. He had the computer screen in front of him, I have no idea how to run this. Uh, very showing very much more vulnerability than he did um, in Next Gen. Yeah. Of course, he was much younger then. Um, and yeah, I love well, the makeup. See- We've because seen instances with his where he thought his clout would get him somewhere, where where there have been people of like, you know, who are you, you know, like, yeah, you know, which yeah. is a great blow to anybody's ego, um, you know, after having accomplished so much, and then you're you're taken down a peg because of the by, by the crime of time that you're yes. no longer in the spotlight and other, you know, time marches on and you are uh, pushed in the background. It's something that we all experience in life. Yes. Um, yes. And and how does Picard handle that time after time when it comes up or, or faced with a technology that he doesn't know how to run anymore? Um, you know. Yeah. His, 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 his own... Um, not keeping up with time. That was also an interesting scene in the beginning when he realized that all he was doing was sitting around the vineyard doing nothing, just kind of waiting to die, which was not his yeah. personality or his very soul. Um, that was a very well, a very moving exactly. scene in the very beginning of the series. Um, I guess this, maybe this two... You know, this whole uh, adventure has, you know, given him a second lease on life, given him a purpose. Absolutely. Um, you know, There's a reason a now. Mm-hmm. And I... <laughs> Answer the phone already. <laughs> Was that yours? <laughs> no, that wasn't mine. No, well, I don't know who it is. No, that was mine. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Well, you're 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 the man behind the scenes, so we can't complain. (laughs) (laughs) Healing frequencies are always open, you know. (laughs) There you go, there you go. But um, yeah, uh, um, I also think I know I sent you this uh, link which, of course, the audience doesn't know I did, but um, it was about somebody mentioning that uh, Seven might get her own series, um, which I thought was an interesting thing, although Jerry Ryan appeared to not be, appeared to be kind of meh about it, um, not, hmm. not 
overly enthused, but not exactly negative about it either. Like, if it came about, fine. If it didn't, fine. Um, I guess she was not very <laughs> satisfied with the end of Voyager. And uh, so, I don't know. But uh, interesting well, that I she came back. I would think she as an actress uh, might appreciate how much they have jumped seven of nine forward in her um, development because the last I recall we saw of seven of nine on Voyager, um, she was just beginning to get into a relationship with Chakotay. And I hope somewhere along the line, we find out what, what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, you know, obviously that hasn't been the case in quite a while, you know, did it just never take off, or uh, did Jacote, you know, did, or did it take off, and did something happen? Is Jacote still around? Um, right. You know. Right. There's so many different storylines that you could go with here, and I think there's only two episodes left in this season. As I, I think that's correct. Two or maybe was, three. Was um, this it's episode just, eight? Uh, I forgot now how many episodes. They were doing, wasn't it 10 originally? 10? That, I, that yeah. rings a bell. That rings a bell to me. And I, so, yeah, because yeah, I'm so thinking they said there were only right. two left. You were right. And, and then, because even with you know, money, I know that eight and two is 10. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can even do that on my fingers. Uh. Yeah. I think first, I, I was, uh, I think I kind of locked in the, uh, 15 at some point because recently I've I've been uh, binge watching um, the first season of Doom Patrol, um, a whole other genre in the superhero genre, and that that has had 15 episodes. So I think that that's why I was thinking that. But okay. no, sadly we won't get as many episodes per Picard. Um, but we do know that Star Trek Picard's already you know will get at it's least already 10 renewed. Minutes. So. Which is yeah. fantastic. We don't have to worry about losing it. Um, such, yeah. a, such a great show. Also, did you see or the video or actually see when uh, Patrick Stewart was on? Oh, what was it? The Jimmy Kimmel show, but Jimmy Kimmel wasn't there. It was it was Mayor Mayor. Yeah. Pete. Yes, uh, I very, did. I and I usually don't stay up that late for uh, talk shows, but uh, but I actually did and. Um, I thought it was very funny. I thought oh, it was very, very funny. Patrick um, Stewart was having such a great time, and so was Pete Buttigieg. Uh, yeah. What a combination. I think maybe he found a new vocation because I thought he did a very good job. Uh, he did you know, a taking great over. job. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he's very smart. He's not, he's that uh, Buttigieg I'm talking about. He's he's very yeah. personable, you know, Um Interesting place to see him, though. Uh, wasn't expecting that, but uh, and, and you know, Patrick Stewart, I think, is probably one of the easier people to interview because he's just so enjoys everything so much. Uh, you know, he's now. He's I so, saw, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw Patrick Stewart on some other show. I don't know if it was uh, on TV and they were showing it on Facebook or if it was. Just something that was, uh, you know, uh, on online. But he and the actress um, who plays 
our favorite blonde scientist who has uh, definitely troubled. Um, yes. They showed the scene where um, he uh, is sitting beside her and she's recovering from her uh, red velvet uh, purge, cake purging, <laughs> uh, trying to get the, the blue thing out of herself. And, yes. um, and he says, um, when we, we're, the ship is going to deep space 12, I believe. 12, which said. I stumble over every time. Yeah, yeah. Because I think we were all like, say, say nine, say nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want to yeah. see. We want to say, say nine. You know, let's see all those characters yeah. again. But you know, we can't take uh, everything back. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, well, he, we, um, he he as much says as we that, want to see. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we'll never um, have Avery Brooks back. So uh, you know, because he's. That was his last hurrah into TV before he went on to be mm. teaching at Rutgers. Um, mm. So, and now he's retired. So, so um, yeah, he was right up the road from us for a long time. But, well, I uh, knew he was, and uh, um, Armin Shimmerman, of course, also has a connection with New Jersey. He used to live in Lakewood. In Lakewood, yep. I remember um, you telling days. me that when he visited Challenger, he said he doesn't go back to Lakewood because he had too many parking tickets. <laughs> That's correct. We were up on stage with him. Uh, we were able to uh, present him with a plaque that the Lakewood committee had given us uh, to give to him because uh, we were going to Pennsylvania to see him, and they 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 realized, well, we're never going to, you know, <laughs> he's never coming back to Lakewood. Maybe they checked his police log and saw that, yep, he, he's got a lot of He's not of coming police. back here, no. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a, a, you know, a wonderful experience to see him and, and, uh, and how he uh, came up and either hugged or kissed uh, members of, of the crew there as we presented it uh-huh. to him. And, Very uh, nice. Very nice. And then we found out about a year later when we saw Max Grodencheck at another, uh, event um when we happen to mention that we had given it to him and max grodencheck who you know plays rom said right. uh oh you the guys that did that he said you know he has that in his dressing room that's nice. that's cool well we always thought armin shimmerman was a class act well yeah well yeah very much so very much and so. Yeah. on that note Uh, Our adventure for today is ending. Uh, I want to thank both of you for an awesome and entertaining uh, science fiction show. And uh, I'm liking very much uh, this new beginning. Uh, Bob, if you want to change the uh, title from Starfleet Speaks to something else, just let me know, okay? Okay. Uh, And thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. You're awesome. Thank you. It was, it was you. fun listening to you, and uh, you, were, you were very fun uh, together. You had a really great uh, uh, chemistry going on there. Uh, so I, I'm very grateful for it, and I look forward to your return someday uh, as yeah. one of uh, Bob's uh, co-hosts. I would like to do that very much. Uh, yeah. Before we wrap up the segment, if you could both share how people can uh, get in contact with you and enter your Star Trek world, uh, that would be great. Okay. Um, well, I'm with the USS Avenger, 
And we are on Facebook under USS Avenger. Imagine that. Um, we meet we meet monthly on the second Sunday of the month at two o'clock p.m. at the North Brunswick Library. We also, if you can't make it to the library, we also uh, use Skype a lot because a lot of our members are out of the area, and that's the second Sunday of every month. Um, we're looking for members. We're looking high and low for members. Um, and we're really a, we're a fun and very very diverse group, and so and our uh, CO and XO are uh, they know almost as much about Star Trek as Bob knows, <laughs> which is saying something, saying something there. Yeah, Bob so, knows a great deal. He uh, and he's been at this for many decades, so uh, um, the knowledge has seeped into all his pores, and he's a walking encyclopedia of Trek and science fiction. He really is. He really is. And Bob, how can people find you and enter your world? Well, we also have a Facebook page, USS Challenger. Imagine that. And uh, <laughs> we can be found at uh, USSChallenger.org is our website. Um, we also meet, uh, we meet the, normally the first Sunday of the month at the Seaside Ice Community Center. However, due to the circumstances of, that are going on, uh, we will not have access to that facility for maybe two months. Um, and I know those that do meet at the library, uh, your libraries are probably closed as well. Oh, I know the U.S. Is library is closed. Um, Ocean County's library, uh, uh, you know, is, is system is closed. I, I'm sure that, unfortunately, Anne-Marie, I think yours is Yeah, North Brunswick will probably be. But we do so much on Skype that it's just, that'll, we will yeah. just naturally migrate into the Skype. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you guys might want to try that if you want to have a meeting. Uh, anyway, we can discuss that at some other time. But yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't need to hear shit business. Ship business in the middle of everything. Region-wide, we're having a Discord meeting that Wayne is hosting uh, for everybody that that has Discord on Thursday from 7 to 9, this Thursday. Cool. uh, We'll find a way to get together even if we can't physically be together due to social distancing. (laughs) I'm sure we will have some ideas for that, which I will share uh, sometime in the coming week. I included both of your personal profiles and uh, uh, the Facebook groups for your vessels. So hopefully uh, people uh, show an interest and uh, you can expand your membership. Excellent. Thank Thank you you so much. Uh, You're very welcome, and thank you so much. We're going to take a very brief break. We're going to listen to Cry Freedom by Bone Poets Orchestra, and then we'll be back for Hercules and the Space Gods with Nick Curdo and Diane Duncan as my guests today.
know I will not remain asleep. I have seen it with my eyes. Seen that all religion lives by a steady trade in lies. They try to hold us back with rains of holy smoke. But I am here to say we will not bear the yoke. Once a fact is clearly seen, there is no turning back to fairy tales or bloody dreams. If we dare not speak our minds The Inquisition has a test for each of us in time And do you trust a creed that claims to set you free By spending half a lifetime begging on your knees Cry
Greetings and welcome to Voice of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and tonight is our Pride of Olympus crossover show under the Archons and Aeons Aegis. So it is appropriate that I play our song for Pride of Olympus before we begin. Who am I? What am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Is there a purpose to all of this? Join Hercules and Victus and crew as they seek answers to these and other timeless questions and serve Mount Olympus by safeguarding the path of mystic ascension. Welcome to the Pride of Olympus. Greetings and welcome to our Voice of Olympus, Pride of Olympus crossover show. Uh, this segment is called Hercules and the Space God, and I will be speaking with uh, two individuals who are known to all our listeners, uh, Nick Curdo and Diane Duncan. Uh, Nick and Diane are very spiritual people, and they represent spiritual organizations. Uh, Nick, the more traditional Urantia book, which is the fifth revelation, and uh, Diane and uh, Michael, when you can join her, uh, a new branch of the Urantia book, the sixth revelation, uh, which they represent and which they brought uh, to the world, and now it's entered a new phase. Uh, which is beginning this uh, Friday officially, although it's been foreshadowed for many, many uh, months now, uh, Gabriel's Worldwide Religion of Love. So uh, today we're going to bridge cosmic spirituality with uh, science fiction. Nick Curto has been on the show before, and he shared how Gene Roddenberry uh, was very familiar with and was informed and inspired by the Urantia book. And uh, we've touched upon the topic with the Duncans as well several times. Greetings and welcome, my friends. How are you? Greetings. Thank you, Hercules. Always great to be here. Diane, great to be with you also. Well, thank you, Nick. Thank you. It's it's so wonderful to hear your voice again. I, I'm really so pleased. And Hercules, thank you so much for inviting me. I think this is the most spectacular period of my life. <laughs> yes, I, I, I've, uh, I've heard all the wonderful things that are happening. And I guess before we proceed uh, to looking at uh, science fiction, um, I will ask you to explain uh, Gabriel's worldwide religion of love. Now, in Greek uh, or Olympian uh, cosmology, uh, this would be Aphrodite and Ephesus, uh, who the myths inform us were married. Uh, Ephesus had his forge on the island of Lemnos, which is part of my heritage, a big part of my heritage, uh, in fact. Uh, and they are working together now to bring us a new worldwide religion of uh, love. So uh, would you care to share a bit about that? Well, thank you, Hercules. You know, three years ago, in March of 2017, we started writing to the Arantia people, our dear friends. My, my husband is a past president of UBLA, Arantia Book, Los Angeles. And, of course, Nick is a past president of Arantia, also a society. But we, we started writing people that in three years we were told that there would be the most wonderful, wonderful 
New Religion, put out by Archangel Gabriel and his beautiful consort Venus, Mother Venus, the female bright and morning star. And they were going to set into motion a new religion, a new way and a new spiritual path for all of humanity. And that's exactly what I'm introducing this week. On Friday, the 20th of March, we will be starting the first phase of the new worldwide religion of love by Gabriel. The religion will benefit each individual on earth, regardless of location, economic status, cultural background, and they can have any religion that they choose. Gabriel and Mother Venus will work on an inner and an outer level with each and every individual to fill their hearts with divine love and to uplift their minds with divine truth. As a result of their outpouring of love and truth, humanity will go through many changes. And that's exactly, Nick and Hercules, what we're going through right now. We are going through the great slowdown. That is what Michael, my husband, calls it. The great slowdown. You know, March 5th, and that's just not too long ago, I had another encounter with the Father, with the local universe Father, as we call him, Michael of Nebadon, in the Rancho book. I had the first encounter in 2013, December 19th. And then March 5th, I had a second one. In this one, Hercules, do I have time to tell them what happened? Uh, yes, you do. We have some time, I, and then we'll go to uh, Nick. I have some questions to ask uh, Nick as well. Of course. Um, March 5th, I was in a really hectic pace. I was running here and there, and I was going to pick up my son from school. And so I was running upstairs to get ready to go to the school. And I ran up the stairs, and I went in my room, and all of a sudden, I was stopped. There was like an explosion of light all around me. It was like having a chandelier, a hanging chandelier over my head. And I I really thought, uh, Nick and Hercules, I really thought, oh, my golly, Am I having, um, you know, like an aneurysm? Am I, am I having a stroke? Am I having a heart attack? What's what's going on? Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this wow. was th- this was really big, Nick. That this was bigger than anything I've ever even imagined. Um, I can imagine. There were, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there were lights coming down like bars all around me, about two inches thick of light, and these lights were like encaging me. I mean, I felt like I was in a jail of light. Hmm. And on the top, there were geometric forms of light. And someday I want to be able to try and think about this and see if I can draw it. Because I was I just almost, thinking of that. I was just thinking yeah. of uh, if you could possibly do that because that would be so interesting. It, they were geometric forms of light, but then hmm. um, th- then they came down into these bars of light around me. And I thought, oh, my golly, you know, what, what on earth is happening? And I thought, I, I know I can't live like this. 
so you know am am I going to come out of this that was my my really greatest concern you know and I I looked around at my room where I was at and I no longer could really see to the right of me or the left of me or in front of me it was just very dim I could make out a little bit of the room but it was very dark except for all these these lights that I I, I cannot imagine anything uh, so uh, explosive. I mean, it was it was just unbelievable. Well, all of a sudden, though, I saw the father in front of me, the local universe father, and he was again in a white robe. He was a little bit uh, further away from me, but he was there. And but he this time, you know, in the first encounter, guys. He was smiling and everything, you know. <laughs> he had his rays around him, and everything was really glorious. But this mm. time, he was solemn, and he was just standing there in front of me. And he really didn't have any expression on his face, really not. He had the same long, curly hair, but there there was no expression, certainly no smile to welcome me. And I, I really thought, I am done for. I'm I'm not kidding you guys. I thought I'm done for because <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what was going on. And I, I asked him when I saw him, I said, Father, are you really here? Is this really you? And he did say, he said, yes, I am here. And then I thought, well, you know, what, what can I do? I mean, I... You know, I didn't know what to do. Well, I was supposed to have picked up my child. My husband was home for lunch, and Alex was out early, and he called to me. And I I was in the room, and I said, I'm dizzy. I can't come down. Pick up Alex. I had enough um, ability to do that. And he said, all right, I'll go, because he was downstairs, and I yelled to him. And then I asked the father, I said, can you help me? Can you help me? Because I knew that I could not live like this, you know, and so I had to have some relief. And he put his right hand up on my forehead with light on his hand and then on my shoulder. And then I knew, I knew that something had happened, although the lights were still there. And the lights were around me like I was in a a jail of light, a circular and like a, a chandelier above me. It was very weird. Then I went downstairs, and I went to lie down, and the light started to fade. And then I thought, oh, my golly, I'm just perfect. I didn't have an aneurysm. I didn't have a heart attack. I didn't have a stroke. I'm fine. And so I, I tried to ask them, I tried to ask them, what What happened? What was going on? And they told me, they said, we want you to slow down. We want you to stop rushing. We want you to um, be more composed, to be more quiet. And we want this message to be put out to all the world, to slow down, to stop. They stopped me, guys. They stopped me in my tracks. I could not, I say I couldn't move. I could move, but I couldn't get out of the circle. 
and the circle was very confining. It was very close to me. It wasn't that large. The The rays of light came down about maybe a foot from me is all. So they wanted people to slow down. They wanted them to stop what they were doing. They wanted them to return to thinking of God and their eternal life. And this was the message that I was to put out, which we started putting out. Now this week, we have the beautiful uh, Gabriel's beautiful religion of love with Venus in all his glory. But before this happens on Friday, this week, the spring equinox is the 19th, very late at night. So the 20th is when this begins, will be really the first day of our new life for the world. God's hands are on this virus that we have. God's fingers are pointing the way for us to return to God, stop thinking about what we're doing, and be quiet, be still, and be more slow, slow down. Um, my, my husband, Michael, calls it the great slowdown. They have been preparing us for this for three years, and it is here now. I know my, my child's school called me yesterday. There is no school for two weeks and right. maybe longer maybe longer. The father, he not only stopped me, he slowed me down, he says, for the rest of my life. Everyone has been going at too frantic of a pace. And it's interesting, too, guys, I have to tell both of you, Michael sings in, you know, he's a cantor at a Catholic church. And the priest was saying, he was saying that the hand of God is on this coronavirus the hand of God is also telling us to stop. Stop what we're doing and return to thinking of God. The things that we are doing are important, but they're not as important as God. And a lot of people are doing things that they need to change their path. They need to stop. Now, I I think I'm trying. I'm really trying to be a good girl. You know what I mean, guys? So I don't don't think that, that he was being, you know, punishing me. But he was telling me I'm going at too frantic of a pace. I've got to slow down, too. I've got to be better than I am. I'm rushing. I've got to be more quiet. So here we are, Nick, and here we are, Nicholas, uh, Hercules. We, yep. we are at the place where God wants us. We're slowing down. We're stopping. Everyone in the world is aware of what's going on although they're not probably aware of who's doing it. I know I, I was asking the Father. I was saying, well, you know, no one really understands what's going on. Will they believe me or will they believe you? And he says, everyone will hear my word. And through the actions of what's going on now with this coronavirus, everyone is getting the message that something's going on. Everyone, all over the world, even if it's Australia, uh, with our movie stars, you know, that are having the virus right now. and All over the world, Italy and France and Russia, of course, China. Everyone knows that something is happening, and something is. And the worldwide religion of love will be the outgrowth of this for two years to try and teach people 
to look more to God for the next two years, and then they will give out the precepts and give out uh, the words of how the religion will be for every individual. So this is what happened to me on March the 5th, and I have to slow down, but I'm telling you everybody in the world needs to slow down. So that's kind of it, guys. The world is uh, forcing us to slow down, <laughs> whether we want to or feel we need to or, or not. So um, right. everything can put on hold. And uh, what is amazing is how easy it was to shut the world down. Uh, it's, yes. it's very amazing. Uh, so I will go now to the legendary Mr. Curdo. Uh, <laughs> you are also a very spiritual individual, and you're very attuned to uh, you embody and express the truth of the Urantia book. Um, what does well, the Urantia book inform you about uh, these times? Right, right, right. Well, well. B- before we get into that, I just want to to say to Michael and to Diane that this is an incredible moment. I mean, I am very, very excited about what Diane and Michael have been telling us for the last few months. And yes. here we are, we're arriving at a very pivotal moment. And I can't imagine uh, the world in a more pivotal moment than right now, right, right this moment. And if, yes. if this world ever needed guidance and love, this is it. Certainly is. And, uh, yes. and the timing is just, just unbelievable, what's going on. Now, I live, as you guys know, in the, the fastest-paced city in the world, <laughs> Manhattan. Yes. New York City, and to look out on the streets and see everything closed, Uh, all the museums, the Met, all the art museums, uh, all the uh, restaurants, uh, the the bars, the cafes, uh, everything is just slowing down or stopping. Um, You can't find a restaurant where you can sit down. You can order food and take it out, but they're not allowing people to gather uh, at all, and this is going. This is sweeping, sweeping every single you can imagine. All the clubs and organizations, and all the businesses, everything in Manhattan is coming to a complete stop. And it's it's eerie in a way. I have to tell you that it is. walking on the streets and seeing, like one maybe one fifth of what you would normally see on a city street both day and night, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a uh, it's just concerning. It really is. You, you, you're, I'm still trying to get used to it. I'm sure everybody else is also, because this is a very quiet, quiet, slow time here. Yeah. And um, I've, I've never seen anything quite like this ever yeah. in my life. Yeah. I've lived here for 53 years, so, and I know that um, all the other cities worldwide are doing the same thing. Uh, Nick, have you or Hercules had any problem with the groceries? We went last night, and the shelves were stripped bare on almost, oh, golly, probably half the store. They were stripped bare. I couldn't buy any bread, nothing, hardly anything, nothing that was on my list. I have to say that in in my experience here, we've been shopping for a few days off and on, and Uh we've been able uh, to get everything that we we wanted to purchase. Oh, good. So it hasn't been as bad here as in some other places, and for that, that's a blessing. Yes. Because you don't know how long this is going to last. I mean, it might no. be two weeks. It might be till fall or beyond. You don't know. Nobody has the answer to that. Right. So right. it's hard to 
a plan, and all all my my my, my groups, the uh, the three groups I do at the center, the center was shut down on uh, last Friday. Yeah. Last Friday, uh, and there's no no timetable at all for when it will reopen, and, and so th- this is affecting everything. It is, and and you know we've been telling people for three years, Nick, that this is going to happen th- this week. It's Friday now. It's Friday. Yeah, I and know. The first I know it was beginning. I I was believe me. I totally remembered that, and it was just yeah. this this feeling like holy cow it's here it is here, <laughs> it, is here. here. it is here uh, you know we've been but, saying this is the transition period before and it's going is. to be rough on a lot of people it certainly is going to be rough uh we're yes. going to have to go through some bad times to get to the good times right. but i don't think yeah. there's any other way to, to do it except to no. go through this and and be each other's friend and I've yes. seen, i got to say, and I, I hope this yes. goes for your neighborhoods, the people uh-huh. have been wonderful about helping each other. Have oh, you noticed yes. that? Oh, we do. Yeah. We do. We, we've been in our neighborhood 41 years, and we just have wonderful, helpful people. Yes. Yes, of So that is one of those little signs that people are getting it. They know what's, what, what, what matters, mm-hmm. and they're, they're really kind of calming down a little bit and embracing the love of fellow men. Uh, and, Nick, and that and, is really and, uh, wonderful. You yeah, know, it's in true. Our, I, could, uh, I see it. Yeah. In our um, uh, home here, Michael is working now uh, part-time at Home Depot. And they're, they're saying they're going to probably take out every person that's over 65 and lay them off now for a while. Wow. I don't know if they're doing that in New York, but uh, our state is uh, telling us that from Governor Newsom. So everyone well, yeah, over 65 it's... is going to be laid off. So at Michael's job, what they're going to do is they have a Hummer fund where everybody contributes. So they're going to try and contribute to all those employees over 65 that are going to be laid off. Wonderful. Wow, that's so that's so good. A lot of uh, stores and uh, places of business and for places like we went to the vitamin store today to pick up some vitamins. And uh-huh. they're not letting anybody in the store. You have to. Right. Uh, they knew me, so they made an exception <laughs> in my case. Uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, and I, I got some service, but not. I wasn't allowed to go in the store. I told them what I wanted. They got it for me. That I paid for it through the door. Uh, but uh-huh. they put up signs uh, that it's by delivery or pickup only. So oh, you have to contact right. them by uh, email. Tell them what you want. They'll email you back and uh, tell you how much it costs and when it's ready. And then either you go there and pick it up or they'll have somebody drop it off to, to your home. Uh, but right. uh, to minimize uh, contagion, uh, they, uh, they adopted this measure and other places have adopted uh, other measures. Uh, so they're still in the process of testing them out because we don't know how long, as you said, it's going to last or what effect it's going to have. So everybody's trying to figure out ways of uh, um, providing goods and services to people, um, you know, given the fact that we might be locked up till the fall, you know, and, and what are yes, we going to do? Yes, uh, all right. Uh, Michael brought us home a couple loaves of bread at lunch today awesome. because I couldn't get any, you know, all week. So Michael now, brought I've been buying, loaves of bread. I've been buying flour, and I've been making my bread. Oh, what a wonderful idea. Well, delicious. Which is really very easy to do. I, I was actually surprised at how easy you can make bread. Lots of different kinds of breads, like onion bread and 
Italian bread with, with seasonings and herbs. I mean, it really is quite easy to do. And uh, I suggest to people that if you can't find bread, buy some flour. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. Or self-rising flour. You know, there's a lot of brands uh-huh. that have self-rising right. flour. That's even better. But, but yeah, it's stock up that way. Well, Nick, don't you think that people are going to start thinking, though, maybe that there is a divine plan behind all this? Oh, I think there's a lot of thinking right now on a lot of different levels. Uh, my group, Disclosure Network New York, which are a group of amazing researchers, we have a lot of on the table of who and what and why, that, which is going on. And there's a, there's a lot of variety of, of, of answers, some of which are pretty shocking, I have to say, uh, and some of them are, uh, are p- perhaps a little more like, okay, I can understand that a little better. Uh-huh. But uh, you, right now there's a lot on the table about who or what is doing this and why. And, right. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, as you guys know, uh, people that are over, uh, say, uh, 60 or so, how much they are more affected by this and how they have to be extra careful. There's a lot going on now with the, uh, the medical yes. uh, right. rules about what, how to treat people and what they can sure. and cannot do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot going on. Yes. Well, you know, I think people will start to think about what they're doing, and I hope that they'll think about a, maybe a new path more toward God, returning to God. I hope that they will think about that. Now, I think that's going to happen and has happened already. I, I would say that's, that is in, in root. Mm-hmm. 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 I think I knew that. we're going to need to work on, and uh, I'm trying to figure out ways of uh, programmatizing this. Uh, and uh, this uh, uh, Star Trek uh, um, experiment uh, that I'm doing you know, ties into it, is that uh, people are not used to working with uh, celestials. So there has to be a process of familiarization. Who are the celestials? What do they represent? What is their mission? What is their purpose? What relationship do we have with them and and so forth? And um, I've started educating people on that. I'm trying to integrate it as much as possible on the shows so that we look at that and we explain it. Now, Star Trek, the vision of Star Trek was one of a positive future where humanity has moved beyond where it's currently been stuck for a while. Not technologically. Technologically, we've been a deal. Uh, but in terms of our growth and development as human beings. And Roddenberry had a wonderful vision that was inspired by cosmic spirituality. And we all belong to cosmic spiritualities. And uh, both of you, uh, to the Urantia book. Uh, yeah. So... Um, the cosmic spiritualities have been there. They can be historically traced for thousands of years. Uh, and they give us a more positive and progressive view. Uh, Unarius Academy of Science, which is a relatively new group that started in the, uh, the 50s, uh, they also are cosmic spirituality and they hold the same positive uh, message. We're not alone. We're being um, observed. We're cared about. There is a divine plan. Uh, so all of these messages have been coming out uh, continuously. And uh, through the mythology of today, and Star Trek is part of the mythology of uh, today, I plan on focusing on these uh, uh, increasingly more throughout some of the podcasts. Now, your 
families and uh, your friends and yourselves have resonated very strongly with uh, Star Trek. Uh, before we wrap up for today, um, what is it about Star Trek that got you uh, excited about the future? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Diane, do you want to start it, please? Well, uh, I think uh, for me, I had two teenage sons, you know, be bringing up and and they were so excited about it and I became excited about it but I think you're talking about the author of it and he was so influenced by the Arantia book now let's face it he read the Arantia book I remember uh, reading an article about him even in my astrology magazine that uh, he had read the Arantia book and that I kept that magazine for a long time and I'm sorry I can't find it now but but I think that his vision of a divine plan leading humanity into a better future and maybe even a better future going off into other planetary systems, other universes. Um, This excited me personally. I wasn't like my sons, you know, uh, taking it as a scientific um, research type of thing. I was looking at it as how exciting to be able to maybe think of myself going to another planet. I know in the Arantia book, they talk about uh, Ellen, Eleonora, in the Arantia book, that she was a human being, but on another planet, uh, Panoptia, the planet Panoptia, and that she was a, a woman who saved her planet and fought off uh, all of the evil uh, demons that <laughs> came to try and destroy her planet and saved her planet single-handedly. And I thought that this is really exciting. This this is really what I want, to actually think that I might have a future on another mm-hmm. planet in another solar system. I mean, this yep. to me was just, oh, hey, I'm there. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Nick, Diane, you? I think that you, you, you nailed it, Diane, as far as what you were thinking and how you expressed it, because the Star Trek connected me on a whole new level of, 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 I won't say fiction. It was, it was simply the next level of who we are and where we're going to be. And it it was so powerful. It was like nothing else I'd ever experienced in sci-fi movies and uh, books. It was on such a higher level and it just resonated to me so much. And then later on in my life, when I ran into something called the Rancher book and started going through it, with a, uh, a reader group every Tuesday night, it was just like, yeah, that's right. That was also in Star Trek, all these concepts, all these right. amazing <laughs> ideas. It was resonating, uh-huh. bang, bang, bang. And I was right. so excited. And then later I found out that uh, the Roddenberrys, both he and his wife, had been students, art students of the Arantia book and had gone to, I believe, California study groups. And people wow. knew them. Yes, so that right. that was just like, wow, <laughs> connecting the dots, here we go. Connecting uh-huh. the dots. And that's why it was so powerful and still is, I have to say, powerful oh, yes. for everybody who sees that series. Of it, it's resonating to them. And, and that is and, very exciting. And on that note, we have to end our adventure for today. Um, Friday we're launching a new station. And uh, I've invited uh, Diane to share uh, her revelations on the first episode, which is the first day of uh, 
uh, the worldwide religion of love. So uh, wow. Uh, well, that's we go, exciting. Can, yes. Can both of you share? Um, you're scheduled to be in that show as well, uh, Nick. Um, can you share how people can get in contact with you and learn more about all the wonderful things that you're doing and all the wonderful things that you bring to the world and are into? Go ahead, Diane. Oh, well, I'm just going to give our YouTube channel, and that's very simple. It's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and A-N-D, Diane, D-I-A-N-N-E, Duncan, D-U-N-K-I-N. And that's it. And we have our paintings, and we have, well, I'll tell you, we have some of the paintings of the celestials that I've been talking about. I'm trying to get a portrait of every single one, but I've got quite a few up, and some of our songs. So please, please check us out. And Nick? Yeah, I have been there, and it's certainly worth a visit. So everybody listening, you really need to do that. You'll, you'll find oh, amazing, uh, amazing uh, stories and, and uh, graphics that Diane and Michael have put up there. Now, to get a hold of me, I'm going to give you my email address, which is Nick, that's N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the number one, in other words, the figure one, at gmail.com. So that's Nick, N-Y-N-Y-1 at gmail.com, and the Disclosure Network New York website, I want to give you that. That's www.dnny.info, I-N-F-O. And that will, unfortunately, all our programs at this moment are put on hold until our venue, oh, the, the center on West 13th Street, is reopened. And there is no date at all right now. Nobody knows when it will reopen, but it's closed solid. And all the programs, unfortunately, including mine and a lot of other people, are put on hold. Uh, we're thinking maybe in good weather we might do a little meeting in the park, not in a building, but simply in Central Park, something like that. Oh, well, I love you both. You. This was an awesome show and a, and a very informative show and a very uh, uh, show giving hope. Uh, I wish you all the best, and I will talk to you very soon. Oh, God bless you, Nick. God bless you, Hercules. And you as love well. Love you all. Okay, bye Much bye. love to everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Dave the Bard's Anthony well. Standing Stone, and then we'll be back with our scholars. Be well, be safe. Be well. You be too, Nick. Be well. Thank Thanks, Diane. Bye bye. Bye.
Yeah, so what we thought we would do is uh, I thought I'd go over a little bit of what each section we have uh, in the okay. book, and then we uh, kind of uh, cued in to two particular essays that we thought we'd talk about this evening, uh, kind of given uh, what is going on in the world this evening, uh, sometimes uh, fiction and um, real life kind of intersect and uh, provide us some very interesting um, points of interest to talk about. You know, as uh, pop culture scholars, you know, both Michelle and I are always interested in that, you know, pop culture artifacts kind of capture something that's going on in society. And so yeah. uh, two of the essays that we'll be talking about tonight will definitely be reflective of that. Yeah. Fantastic. I so found our- your book on Amazon, and I'm going to put a link to it. Uh, under the promotion for today's uh, show, and I hand you the scepter of Zeus, and uh, the show is yours. So uh, I'd love to hear more about your book. Well, thank you very much, Hercules, and and as always, we're very appreciative of the the forum in which to be able to discuss our different projects, and we're very excited to finally be able to bring this one to the listeners this evening. Um, As Nicholas said, Our book is Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern. We have a collection of, I believe, 15 essays, and they are divided into four sections, the first one being um, horror writers who forge new ground. So, of course, we have uh, our patron uh, horror writer, uh, Anne Radcliffe, who is the originator of kind of the modern study of horror studies. And so our book actually opens up with a very nice essay about Anne Radcliffe and her unexplained supernatural in her novel called uh, Gaston de Blanville. Um, we also have a few other uh, essays in there, but I'll just try to spot like, you know, like one or two, and then we'll get right into the two essays that we want to talk about tonight. Okay, uh, section two. Yeah, Section 2 spotlights uh, horror writers. And so what's really neat about this particular section is that we have uh, writers that we wouldn't typically hear of. Um, They're not, like, uh, in mainstream like many of the other horror writers. Um, And I I would just like to to, uh, bring up uh, two of them. One is Marjorie Bowen and the third, Fury, by John C. Tibbetts who also happens to have uh, his own book out about Marjorie Bowen uh, that came out from McFarlane, um, I believe, in, like, late last year or the December beginning. December, it came out, like, basically a month before this book. Yeah, and um, so I would wow. definitely point people in, in the direction of his book. And the other one I wanted to bring up in this section is um, ghost stories that were written or haunted tales that were written by um, L.T.C. Ralt. He is an English writer um, who lived during the early part of the 20th century. He kind of fits in between um, M.R. James and uh, Lieber. Uh, no, Fritz Lieber, I think, is the other writer. He kind of dovetails in between those two. Very interesting, right? Um, definitely comes on the heels of M.R. James, um, but just not as well known. Uh, and so- Arthur Mackey. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 Section three explores the literary. Um, and so, of course, we get into um, a couple of very interesting. One is, uh, and I think we actually brought it up on the last show, uh, Australian horror. 
um, in the Aborigine uh, yeah, uh, mythology that. and monstro- monstrosity. Dreamtime. Yeah, Dreamtime. Uh, and that's all brand new, spanking new uh, uh, scholarship that's been written uh, that is very interesting. Well, well, well so I know all this is really new scholarship, but this one even more so, just, you know, bringing, you know, studies of Aboriginal horror stateside is, is really, really, I'd say, progressive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other yeah, and the other one that I'd like to, to bring up is one that we don't always think about, and that is uh, horror in uh, children's pictures book, picture books. And so we actually have a very interesting essay um, that investigates the textual interactions between horror genre and children's picture books. Um, in our last section, uh, we talk about disease, viruses, and death and horror. And so, obviously, we'll be spending a little time here this evening. Um, yes. And I think that, yeah, so I think uh, we'll just go ahead and I'll hand it over to you, Nick, and we can start with Rahel, which is about mapping digital disease, representations of movement and technology in uh, Jim Zonzero's Pulse and Stephen King's Cell. So, <clears throat> kind of a... Sad in these uh, times with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic going around when you inadvertently release something that's so timely. And um, the final essay in our book, as Michelle is alluding to by, a, she's a German scholar named uh, Rahel Schmidt. And we had the honor that she presented at our first conference way back in 2016 on this paper. And um, uh, it looks at a movie and it looks at a book. So it's kind of 50-50 on media studies here. But uh, it's really timely for what's going on right now because it's about uh, technological pandemics. Uh, she really focuses on, you know, horror is not just restricted to, you know, a monster or a ghost or a slasher villain or something like that. There's all this, you know, apocalyptic horror out there. You know, the, the zombie apocalypse, the... Um, you know, a giant earthquake happening. You know, this goes back to movies and books like I Am Legend and maybe even War of the Worlds. Uh, you know, the the horror of, you know, the apocalypse coming. And that could also be a pandemic apocalypse. You know, you get into something like uh, not just zombies, but, you know, a contagion or a disease causing the apocalypse. Um, and there's no, sh- you know, I think there was a movie back in the 90s called Outbreak. And I think it was about, you know, monkeys or something like that. I I saw Outbreak when I was a kid. Or the movie even 28 Days Later, which I think, um, you know, a lot of folks are making uh, parallels between 28 Days Later and COVID-19 going on right now. Well, anyway, Ray Hale's paper uh, taps into uh, these fears of the apocalyptic uh, pandemic, but she approaches it from kind of a new old angle, and I should say, one that we don't think about, and that's the technological apocalypse. And what I mean by that, and what she means by that, is technological dis-ease. And she, she's quite clear in how she spells this, D-I-S hyphen E-A-S-E. So it's a, it's a double-meaning word, you know, disease as in, you know, contagion and being sick, but also dis-ease, your unease uh, about what's going on. Um, uh-huh. And so the, 
So the two things she's drawn from is the movie Pulse and the novel Cell, which uh, when her essay was written, it was actually before the Cell movie came out. But irregardless, you know, it's still applicable. Um, The movie Pulse uh, is about digital ghosts. And it's about, um, you know, college students or whatnot. They they find uh, by using their computers, they, they unleash, you know, kind of digital ghosts in the world. And that's, you know, it spreads that way. Well, Stephen King's book slash movie Cell is, you know, at one particular moment, this pulse, you know, pops on everyone's cell phone. And if you were listening to it, you turn into a kind of a mindless killer. And so you're kind of, uh, you know, and if you wind up ever hearing the pulse, you too will be turned into the mindless killer as well. And so both of these are, they're contagions. Uh, one's, you know, more zombie-ish and the other one's more ghostly, but but they happen to deal with technology, one through computer and internet use and the other one through cellular phone use. And the idea here, and one of her kind of uh, points that uh, Ray Hell brings up is, uh, quote, the, the same devices that are designed to, like, connect us and bring us together in this kind of globalized world is also the same devices that can infect us. And, wow. um, and there is also uh, a drawing with body horror on this as well. If you think about it, both pulse and cell, they're not double entendres, but they're double meanings. You know, pulse is, you know, a signal pulse. But it also means like the pulse of your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, cell, you know, means, you know, the cellular phone, you know, connecting through a cellular device. We're talking to you through a cell phone right now. But also it's the cells inside of us. And so it's kind of weird in a weird, weird sort of way how linked we are biological to our technological. And anyway, Ray Hill kind of traces this fear of technology. This goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, yes. uh, especially through pop culture. If you think about Frankenstein is a technological horror story. Um, Ray Hell puts out there the, the gothic trope of the cursed book. You know, you read a book and it unleashes, you know, evil and spirits. You know, it's no different than, you know, the evil VHS tape, like in Ring or something like yes. that. So yes. There's something very, uh, you know, gothic and old school uh, about our technology that it, at the surface level doesn't seem like it. You know, we got a TV, we got a computer, we got our cell phone, but they're easily you know, lifted up and applied to old horror and gothic tropes. And then in these cases, you know, technology is kind of viewed as both uh, the savior and the destructor. Um, In Pulse, you know, the computers are unleashing the techno ghosts. In Stephen King's cell, the cell phone releases, you know, the zombie virus, basically. But at the same time, how how do you communicate with folks in this, you know, globalized world? How do you how do you email someone to say, hey, don't don't go to the city because it's taken over? You know, um, what, what do you do when that's all disrupted? But you kind of need that when you have that breakdown in technology. Uh, I, I guess the options are, you know, very limited. Are you, you regress to a, a Mad Max type scenario? And and I would say even today when we talk about that we're supposed to social distance ourselves mm-hmm. and yet we're reliant on technology and Facebook and other things to to try to stay connected. And, and yeah. again, this essay, as Michelle's saying, unfortunately this 
I shouldn't say unfortunately. Fortunately, you know, but that thing was written in 2016 before, and I don't mean this to be a political discussion, but, you know, before Trump came into office and all this stuff. But since that time, there has been a, a severe increase in, you know, disinformation uh, out there through Reddit, through social media and whatnot. And I'm pretty sure if Ray Hill had composed this essay now, she kind of would have factored some of that in, mm-hmm. that, you know, pandemically, we have COVID-19 spreading out there. And what should be the tools to stop this? You know, our technology. But right. instead, you know, we find ourselves stymied by it. We're, we're stymied by, um, you know, sound bites or, or you know, bad uh, articles or false articles and misinformation, misinformation. misdirection and, and not always through the fault of the reporting group but you know it's trying to get correct information that's timely and that's truthful is very difficult and, and particularly is. today when we have all the various technologies um, you know are they helping us she, she uses the term uh she actually uses it from another scholar. I just don't have it in front of me right now. But the term is network apocalypse. And I like the term, but it basically means like the term impending term. apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, it means um, impending apocalypse as a result of a major accident or incident that escalates due to the connectivity of us all, uh, be it computers, social media, IRC back in the day. So I, we bring this up because. Yeah, Pulse and Cell, you know, they're, they're, they're horror books and movies. They deal with ghosts and zombies. We're not dealing with ghosts and zombies right now, but we feel like kind of the major points that Ray Hill is bringing up is extremely applicable with mm-hmm. our ongoing – you know, the COVID-19 thing, that's, that's a normal viral thing. When I say normal, I don't mean to disrespect it. It's a very deadly thing, but it's still – it's normal in the sense of – We've had viruses before, from black plague to swine flu to all that other stuff. There's nothing magic about COVID-19. It's not you, you get bit by some COVID-19, you turn into a zombie or anything. That would make an interesting book, by the way. But, yes, it would. So there's nothing magical about what's going on, but through you know horror literature, horror movies, and whatnot. That's the thing. You, you use horror as a way to kind of not just cope with what's going on, but to gain insight of what's going on. And we mm. feel like Ray Hill took a very interesting approach to it. She went the technological route. And, and, this, and even though it's a techno route, we see so much parallels between what's going on out there and what Ray Hill's written in her essay. It's probably yeah. our, our driving force, too, as academics who are – also members of the Horror Writers Association and why we put so much emphasis on what we do in academics is the fact that we can learn from from our pop culture and there, there's much to learn and to understand um, and to evaluate through the stories that, that we read, um, particularly horror um, today, um, but over, over the centuries that started with Anne Radcliffe. So that's essay number one we wanted to bring up. That one's probably just when our book came out and the COVID-19 news started happening, we, we just kind of looked at each other like, holy smokes, you know, our book just incidentally happened to be topical. And wow. we have another essay that that's 
will be topical if things get worse. Yeah. And that's uh, it's by uh, another one of our colleagues, J. Rocky Colavito. He presented this at the first or second Ann Radcliffe. First one. It was Is the first one. What's that? Is that Jason Colavito? No. No. Oh, okay. Jay Rocky. I don't know. Well, I, we don't know. He is Jay is the initial J, so it may be Jason. I know he doesn't. He uses Rocky. Yeah, he goes by Rocky. Yeah. Uh, if, the if name of him, He's written lots of books on the ancient astronauts and uh, Lovecraft, and uh, um, he's he's written like the definitive books on Jason and the Argonauts. I, I have to look him up to see if he's using that uh, uh, non de plume. No. Okay. No, no, different guy. This, this yeah. is a different, different scholar. He, he, yeah, he's a different. This one's a different scholar. He he teaches okay. college at in Ohio. Yeah, he's a cool guy though. He's 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 so much fun. But his essay is called "Scattergories: Class Upheaval, Social Chaos, and the Horrors of Category Crisis in World War Z." Wow. <laughs> so. Um, it is a, he takes a look at, um, as the, the title uh, suggests, oh, sorry, we had a cat doing something, <laughs> had to check. <laughs> um, but as it suggests, uh, Rocky really takes a deep dive into what happens when we have an apocalypse. Well, and he's specifically looking at World War Z, the book version by Max Brooks. Okay. Okay. So anyway, um, so as Nick interjected, it it is the the book that that we're speaking of. Um, but he talks about uh, how categories, organization, and social classes all contribute to a sense of security for us as as humans uh, and in our everyday consciousness. And that we often, you know, self-identify with our occupations, um, our monetary worth, and so forth. And I think that um, given what's going on today, when we have long lines at the grocery store or not even able to get in there um, or any other, you know, Costco's and, and things like that and empty shelves, it begs to kind of like give pause and wonder. Um, but he he posits that uh, with Max Brooks' book, World War Z, it really offers clear insight into the ways in which the zombie pandemic undermines, overturns, and redefines social class. And so he goes through and he actually pulls um, like about four or five different characters and how each character has been turned over by the situation. And so uh, one of the characters is uh, had been like a white-collar CEO or something like that, and now he is basically shoveling feces and things like that, um, and that's what his, his world has become. You know, uh, no longer is the value, um, the social status, how many rolls of toilet paper you have uh, in your cupboard, and things of that nature, um, all the way through uh, his essay, we get to, of course, the ultimate uh, kind of dehumanizing, I would guess, 
uh, with mm-hmm. one character where they actually um, uh, practice uh, cannibalism. Yeah, I think that's wow. the one where the folks retreat to, uh, they retreat to Canada thinking that the, you know, the winter will keep the zombies at bay. And so they all get together. These are just kind of middle uh, class folks and they kind of party and barbecue and all of a sudden they run out of food and winter sets in. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, well, uh-oh, <laughs> what do we do? You know, they, they've lost wow. their social order and they yeah. didn't kind of, you know, plan ahead for this. And so, yeah, they, they, they basically can't become the people that they ran away from. Yeah. Uh, obviously they didn't learn their history with the Donner Party. Yeah, so a lot of uh, the stuff in uh, Rocky's uh, in Rocky's essay, he talks about, like, you know, the blue-collar person, you know, that, you know, in present real life, you know, we kind of, you know, the blue-collar people are the ones that keep society together, but, you know, they wake up the, the low wage, the, you know, kind of lower end of society, but when the zombie apocalypse happens, they're the ones with the trade skills to keep everything going. So, hence why the CEO is shoveling shit while the person with the knowledge is, you know, reigning supreme. And we bring this essay up because, you know, with the COVID-19 thing going on, you know, your mind turns into, well, what happens? What happens next? What happens, you know, if COVID-19 is not contained? What happens if our right. social structures that give us meaning begin to break down? You know, um, what happens to us then? What do we become? Because as Michelle was saying through Rocky stuff is, you know, some of our identity is from these uh, I, I don't want to say arbitrary, but they are there of class structures right. that society has put into us. And what happens when those are all obliterated by a pandemic? It doesn't have to be a zombie apocalypse. It can be uh, like from Ray Health paper, uh, an actual pandemic. That, that's a lot to think about. That, that That's mind-blowing, actually. Now, we have fun essays in the book, too. We we have one about weird fiction and Lovecraft. It's just that, you know, these two are, you know, they just seem so applicable for what's going on. And I I guess it's kind of the, the, I don't want to say the crappy thing about being a scholar, but, you know, Michelle and I and a whole bunch of other scholars, we study these pop culture relics. And you you think, you know, 50 years after Night of the Living Dead, the general society would be like, this is how, you know, pandemics start. But we didn't learn our lesson from Night of the Living Dead, our dawn of the dead, our day of the dead, our diary of the dead, our night of the comet. (laughs) Here we are. But but we write about it and we shout it from the rooftops. Hey, everyone, if if you watch this really bad full moon movie that's full of boobies, and zombies, you might learn a little something about yes. society. <laughs> well, these movies and uh, these uh, stories are the mythology of our day, and uh, they become more and more alive and immersive as time uh, passes. And uh, um, I'm, I'm watching The Gods Return through superhero movies, and uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to see, but we live in a world that needs to more than ever, and there they are <laughs> on huge screens and on DVDs and Blu-rays and four uh, Ks, and uh, um, but they're here. 
Uh, Hercules, I did not get a chance to take a look, but I did want to tie in or at least loop into our ancient civilization interests and discussions that we've had in past months. And That'll be um, awesome. I, yeah, um, I did not have a chance to look at, at Egyptian, uh, ancient Egyptian practices, but I know that, that they were very much tuned into medical uh, understandings and things like that. And I'm just curious, yeah. uh, how were pandemics uh, kind of dealt with in like ancient Greece and things like that? Or did they discuss those at that, that level in that time period? Well, there were plagues uh, that were attributed to different uh, causes. They did know, however, that these uh, plagues could be prevented by uh, proper hygiene and uh, keeping places clean and so forth. Uh, they might not have totally understood the reasons, but uh, they, they surmised uh, uh, the uh, solutions. Um, I don't have any details that I could pull from off the top of my head, but that is definitely something I can look up and we can talk about it uh, more at length in the future. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'd be very, very curious. And, and like I said, I unfortunately ran out of time and, and did not get to look at ancient Egyptian stuff, but I would definitely uh, love to revisit this uh, topic. This you could tell things have been kind of hectic. <laughs> yes, with all of us. Uh, this Thursday, we're actually having a show uh, on uh, the ancient healing techniques. So we're going to focus on Apollo and Artemis and uh, um, Asclepius and his three daughters, and uh, also the healing of Chiron the Centaur, Hercules, uh, and Athena. And if we have time, which we might not, we're going to go into ancient pet therapy as well, because they understood that uh, having uh, a dog or a cat, you know, w- was very therapeutic uh, back in the day as well. It is now still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it still is, yeah. Well, that's interesting because I know that they, you know, they look to like the waters uh, for healing, like uh, like the the mineral springs and things like that. Yeah. I would imagine too, right? Yeah, the mineral springs were sacred to Hercules because uh, um, Hercules had asked for succor from heaven, and uh, Athena made a uh, um, a thermal spring pop up, and also on Lemnos, the island where I'm from. The thermal springs were uh, dedicated to Hephaestus, who had uh, uh, his forge on Lemnos. Uh, that's where uh, Prometheus stole the divine fire. So uh, hot bathing was associated with uh, Hercules as a healing modality, as was exercise. So th- there, there's a lot of material there on how their uh, spirituality and their mythology uh, tied into their uh, medicine. And a lot of their ancient practices um, survived the change in religions, and they were adapted by uh, Christianity. So if you go to a, a healing shrine in modern Greece, like Dinos, uh, a lot of the things that you'll see there are, are carryovers from antiquity. Well, that's very fascinating. And, of course, all that knowledge that, fortunately, we still have that, that's been able to be carried forward into time. Oh, yes, most certainly so. And uh, uh, it, it, it's amazing uh, looking back at it, 
um, how much we've learned, but how much we haven't learned <laughs> at the same time. Like uh, Nick was saying about, uh, you know, watch these movies. You know, they're telling you a lot of things you need to know or need to think about. It's the same thing with uh, antiquity. Um, many people um, don't know that they had um, self-opening doors back uh, in ancient Egypt, that they had flush toilets like 5,000 years ago um, in the Mediterranean, uh, and that they had uh, um, like animatronics, like they have a Disneyland uh, back then as well. They had coin-dispensed uh, drink uh, um, dispensers where you put in a coin and you hot or cold beverage. Uh, they had all that in antiquity. Uh, and mm-hmm. they had the anti-Kythera device too, which uh, not only monitored uh, astronomy, but also astrology as well. And it was used for navigation. Uh, and it's mentioned by Cicero, uh, but nobody else chose to to talk about it. So it took like 50 years to figure out what it was. But it had the sophistication of a, a Swiss watch. And this was back in the days of Alexander. Yeah. It's kind of like... Um, uh... Da Vinci and all of his drawings yes. and trying to, to under, understand the the thought process and what he was doing and just, you know, being in awe of the fact of how advanced his thought process was. And the I'm sorry, Nick? I was going to say, oh, Michelle's making a reference to Da Vinci and I said, that's why I stand by the movie Hudson Hawk. It's a, it's a bad Bruce Willis film about Da Vinci, but I love it. I have to find it now. I'll go on a quest on the morrow. And we're at the end of our adventure today. Uh, I, I enjoyed uh, uh, learning from both of you, and I enjoyed speaking to you. And I wish you the greatest success with horror literature from Gothic to postmodern uh, critical essays and all your current and future projects. You're awesome. Thank you so much, Hercules. And as always, you know, thank you very much for this platform. And thanks to the listeners that, that tuned in this evening. We're very appreciative. And thank you very much for being curious and interested in, in our journey to Scholars on the Edge of Time. Yeah, thank you, uh, Hercules. And thank you to all your listeners. And everyone, stay healthy out there. Yes. Thank you. And before, before we close the show, how can folks get in contact with uh, both of you? How can they follow your careers and uh, all the wonderful things you're doing? Uh, well, I have a website, nickdiak.com, N-I-C-K-D-I-A-K.com. Uh, from there, I keep abreast of all my news, uh, all the links to my social medias there, my bibliography, uh, anything I'm working on. I'm uh, extremely easy to reach <laughs> through that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and just for me, I also have a website, uh, which I've been uh, a bit better about uh, keeping up to date. It's michellebrittany.com. I'm Michelle with one L, Brittany with two T's, A and Y, uh, because people like to spell it differently than what I spell it. Um, <laughs> I've also got an Amazon author page, and I do have a blog that I'm trying to stay current with, but Obviously, with everything going on, it's been a little bit challenging, but that would be Michelle's Musings on Mummies. Um, So you can always take a look at that. I've got some really great articles. I am a little bit behind, and my my sincere apologies, but it will be back on track here very shortly. I will link to both your website, which I didn't, and to both of your Amazon pages. I I have the other uh, links already up there. Thanks again. Stay safe, stay warm, and I look forward to our next conversation.
Awesome. Have a wonderful uh, new week, sir. Thank you, and to you as well. And thanks to all who listened. Until next time, this is us wishing you joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Thank you.